That's what it was. So during the Cabbage Patch era, anybody would get a Cabbage Patch kid growing up? We got the Cabbage Patch kids, including one of the ones that was bald with the baby powder smell on it that turned green over time so that it looked like your child was developing leprosy, and uh, which was awkward. Still smelled okay, which I don't think leprosy does, but the spots were disarming and discouraging and disturbing. And uh, But then also when radio-controlled vehicles were coming out as like something that actually worked that you could get, we got a bunch of those. And I just remember our house in Whistler that we grew up in had this loop between the, like, the living room to the kitchen that you could just do loops with your remote-controlled vehicle over and over again. And then the era of video games came out. Anybody remember when the Nintendo came out? That's what I called it as a child. Why did they name their product something an eight-year-old couldn't pronounce? It was the worst. If it weren't video games, it would have utterly failed just because of the name. But uh, then video games came out, and Christmas was just about hoping to get a video game. Anybody tracking with me here? And we usually got one. I remember one year, God bless, one of my brothers, who shall remain unnamed, um, proved that Christmas was about video games because when the video game got opened, he just waited till everyone wasn't looking and then disappeared with the video game. And then after a while, you know, we're kind of opening up the, the sweater. Um, and you're like, where's so-and-so? And they're just gone because Christmas was about video games. As soon as the video game got opened up, it's time to, you know, slot in there, you know, blow it, put it back in the slot, slam that thing down, press the button, okay, you're getting the blinky screen to death, press it again, burn it again, put it back in there, press it again, okay, now it's finally working, can't turn it off now, because you don't know when it'll ever start again, and that was Christmas, and it wasn't, it wasn't unenjoyable, but it, it had nothing to do with the point, which was that God had decided in his heart that even though we're sinners, usually rebellious against him, usually would be happy if he would just leave us alone so we could play our video games, even though he made everything. And just to ignore God is a great insult and a terrible sin. He decided in his son to forgive us everything, to come down and to suffer abuse, to tell us that he loves us, and to rescue us so that he could have us forever. That, and that's the truth. The whole point of Christmas is that he really loves us enough to suffer for us, to have us forever. And I totally missed it. So we're going to talk about it a little bit. So let's read a scripture and I'm going to wave my arms and make some points along the way. And hopefully this won't take too long. But before we get going, sorry, I just remembered something. Kids, I need your help. And this is the one time in church that you get to shout out without expecting severe punishment when you get home from your parents. Okay, I need two names. I need a name that sounds like a princess's names, and I need a name that sounds like a shepherd's name, okay? I'm going to give you three seconds to think about it, because I know you're all hopped up on sugar from last night already, so your brains are just already running like a thousand gerbils and a thousand wheels. What is a name that sounds like a princess's name? Three, two, one, shout it out. I'm going with Clara. Okay, good. That sounds pretty good. Princess, except it probably should be Clara. I'm just saying. So, Princess Clara. Okay, and what is a name 
that sounds like a shepherd's name, okay? I'm going to give you one and a half seconds because you've already had time to prep on this, and I know you've all got ADHD anyways from all the screen usage over the COVID shutdowns. Three, two, one, go for it. Did I? Jim? I'm going with Jim. We, Jim, who's been captured by pirates and made to serve before the mass for three years and then ends up finding the pirate's treasure. Okay, so Jim and Clara. Okay, good. I'm going to try to remember that. It's going to come up later in the story. Let's read some... I didn't do that. Technology always works. Or something like it. Can we use this one? Okay, good. All right, it's all about love. That's gonna. Now I've got too many things to sing. Okay, good. So this is Ephesians three. This is right in the middle of the book, and the Apostle Paul writing here has spent almost every word up to this point just describing all the awesome things that God has done for hopeless, useless, terrible sinners in order to rescue them from themselves and to give them a brand new life and a hope and power to change and a purpose and a mission. And after he describes all the things that God has done, he kind of says to himself, there's no way they're going to get this. And so he stops in his letter and he prays. And this is what he prays. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, meaning the Father God, the Father of Jesus Christ, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of glory, his riches, the riches of his glory, which is a lot, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, which means understand, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so Paul, after describing everything that God did for us when he sent Jesus to Mary to be born and be a baby and to live his life and perform miracles and to tell the truth and to die for sin and be raised on the third day, he says, it is so huge, this act of love that God has done for us, that if I don't ask God to do another miracle, you'll never get it. It's too big. And so he prays that you'd understand how high and how thick and how wide and how deep God's love for us in Christ says, I want you to get strength in your inner person, God, to change your heart and change your mind and change your soul so that you'd be hitting the spiritual peck deck every single day with the hope that maybe somehow you'd begin to understand how much God loves you in Jesus. And as you begin to grow in the knowledge of that God, you'll be filled with all the fullness of God because what it means to be truly human is to know how much God loves you. And you and I will never become the person we were made to be until we're filled to the tippy top full of the knowledge of how much our Creator loves us. You're not you until you know how much you're loved. True fact. Speaking truth to error here. The you God made you to be is the you you are when you know how much God loves you. 
and then you act out of that. And that's the truth. And so when I read this Scripture, and God writing the Scripture describes everything He's done for us in Jesus, and then He says, I need you to get how much I love you. It reminds me that we were made for love. We were made to be loved by God and to love Him back. And we were made to need His love and to need to love Him back. And when God sent Jesus as a baby, it was part of a centuries and millennia long project to bring us back to loving God and being loved by God. Well, what's a little description of what God mean, God's love means for us at this time? Because it's easy to think up things yourself, what it, what it would mean for God to really love me, and then look around and think he's not doing it, so he must not love me. Anybody ever been there? Well, if God really loved me, then somebody at church would have brought me bacon socks by now. The Spirit would have told them and dropped some money in their pocket while they were walking by the bacon socks at Walmart and they would have known and I would have got. And because I'm not getting, it must not be real. Anybody like that? Making up reasons, thinking up reasons why it's not true. Well, let me just... Find one description from the Lord, from God Himself, what He thinks it means to be committed to loving you. This is from Jeremiah, okay? Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet because he lived through the worst historical event in the history of Israel except for when they crucified Jesus. That's, that is the worst one. Yeah, no, crucifying your God. Este no bueno. Don't do that. It's really bad, but it happened. But the second worst thing that ever happened was when Jerusalem was sacked by the Babylonians and they were killed en masse and then the survivors, more or less, were hauled off to Babylon. And Jeremiah lived through that, prophesying God's word through that, and was just constantly hated for what he said through that. And God, in the midst of telling the people, like, you betrayed me, and these consequences are coming because you betrayed me, and I keep sending prophets to you to convince you of the truth, and you won't listen to them, and you won't repent, you won't change your mind, you won't change your heart, you won't change where you're going, and all these consequences are things I promised you, Moses, a thousand years ago would happen to you if you, if you kept living like this. Even in the midst of the disaster, God would prophesy what he was going to do in the future to overcome their rebellious hearts. And this is part of one of the things Jeremiah prophesies. He says, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. So just unpacking this a bit. 
The reason I think this counts for us is because it's talking right in the middle there about making an everlasting covenant with his people. And that's what Jesus bought for us. When he shed his blood on the cross, he was making a new covenant with us. And so whenever the Old Testament talks about an everlasting covenant, I think, well, we know that all God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. But this is the thing. When you're a kid, the best part of Christmas is getting, right? When you're a dad, M-I-H-O, in my humble opinion, the best part of Christmas is giving. And when you're married to someone like Jackie, who somehow knows what everybody wants, even when they don't know exactly what they want, so that they're always stoked what they get, it's crazy. The, the giving's the best part. Jesus even said it's more blessed to give than to receive, forever ruining Christmas. Right? But this is the heart of God towards his people. He says to these people at a time where everything was going wrong and it was all their fault, he says, there's going to be a time where I am going to make a new covenant and I'm going to get in your heart and I'm going to help you take me as seriously as I deserve and I'm going to spend all my time and all my money and all my thoughts and all my will doing you good and I'm going to love it and I'm going to enjoy it and it's going to be my hobby, my job, my free time, my spare time. I am going to commit myself to the fun and the excitement and the joy of doing you good forever. That's the love of the Father. You want to define the love of the Father? He's committed to me to having the best time doing me good forever. To make all of his joy tied up together with doing me good, for making me happy, for giving me joy, for setting me free, for giving me life. This is what the Father loves to do for us in Jesus Christ. And that's you. The Father has decided in Jesus to make His goal to have so much fun doing you good. Fun. Not big enough. So much joy. So much excitement. So much satisfaction in doing us good. It's crazy. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking... It sure doesn't feel like that sometimes. Did I read your mind? <laughs> well, why don't I try this? When is this guy going to stop talking so I can open presents? Did I read your mind? <laughs> I'm with you, man. Shorten this message bell for. There is an eggnog at home that is not going to drink itself. There is a day coming where there will be no more sorrow. There is a day coming where Christmas isn't going to be a mix of good times and a reminder of the hard times. There is going to be a day coming when Jesus wipes away every tear and there is rejoicing forever. We're not there yet. So this is kind of what love feels like for us these days. I'm going to get there. I just want to share, like, I kind of get it. Some of my worst memories from my childhood were from Christmas break. I had a Christmas in my family. We had the worst blow-up, sobbing tears fight that I can remember over Christmas. I had a fight over Christmas with one of my brothers. We literally tried to kill each other. 
with other family members screaming at us not to. I've gotten a car accident on Christmas Day. I love my dad, but he was just so angry and never made it right. So I get it. Last week I was praying for our Christmases because I do think there is so much spiritual warfare. I think Satan wants to embitter our hearts against these times that we set aside for God. He wants to make them bitter. He wants to make us jaded. He wants to make us unbelieving. He wants them to become opportunities to criticize God instead of worship God. And all these things happened like the years right before I got saved. So if you, if you don't like Christmas, internet, if you're avoiding gathering because you've got memories that make it so hard, I totally get it. But I think Scripture gets that too. This is a description from the Apostle Paul about knowing God's love in th- this life now. Again, in the book of Romans, Paul's done the same thing. He's taken all these chapters to talk about everything God has done for us in Jesus. And then he stops and he says... What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously with him give us all things? Doesn't that sound like Jeremiah, where God's going to be so pumped to give us everything we need in joy? And it's now now on the other side, going now that God has taken his own son and slaughtered him as a lamb to rescue us, what will God hold back from his children? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. It's God who decides who's right and wrong. It's God who decides who's good and bad. And God, as a gift, has told us you're going to be okay in Jesus. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding or praying for us. And then a bit of a shift here, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written for your day, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that feels real. There is death. There is life. There are angels. There is height and depth. There are powers. There is a present. There's things to come. There's all kinds of tribulation, nakedness, danger, powers and swords and all that stuff. It's a mess. But if we'll believe, none of it touches how much God loves us. And until Jesus comes back, it's going to happen again that there's trouble. And this whole Christian life we're living right now, in one sense, is us just learning that the junk does not change His love. That the junk does not define His love. That often the junk is the enemy trying to tarnish our perception of His love. But in Jesus The love just keeps going up and up and up. So I promised you a story. And I'll talk a little bit about if we believe in his love and we know his love, how it does change everything by telling you the story of the shepherd Jim and Princess Clara. 
And I made this up, so if you think it's horrible, you get what you pay for and whatever. So there once was a kingdom, and in this kingdom was the beautiful Princess Clara, and she was a great princess. Not like some of those princesses that are just totally self-absorbed psychopaths. She was a really great princess. She was pretty, but she also had a great love for the people and was good at public speaking, and it had a good sense for economics. So she didn't ever, like, influence her way into ruining the economy by spurring on massive inflation and ruining everybody's ability to buy things. And in her kingdom was a shepherd by the name of Jim. It was actually James, but, you know, when you're a shepherd, everything gets shortened down. And Jim would, once a week or so, he would bring something from the flock to the capital city of Ugenbugenborg, to sell. And it was a long walk. First he had to walk through some muddy fields, maybe with some sheep, maybe with some cheese, maybe with some wool to sell at the market. But he always got his boots pretty muddy and sometimes got them filled with water. He got a bit of the foot rot every once in a while. It just wasn't fun. But he had to do it. And so he did it, taking his wares to market. And while he was taking his wares to market, he would often pass by the field of Farmer Bill, who had the meanest bull in the entire county, who would often charge the fence and scare the bejeebers out of Jim going to the market. Just a mean old bull. Jim did not like that bull, but he was going to market, and so he went. And as he was coming into town, he had to walk through Nave Alley, which is what he called it, because there were often just guys there standing around doing nothing who would make fun of Jim as he was walking to the market, and they'd say things like, Oh, Jim, aren't you so short? And, Oh, you smell like the sheep, and not the good parts of the sheep. Oh, you, what's that smell? It must be Jim going to market, because it stinks. And they would say stuff like that and make fun of Jim. And he did his best. Oh, yeah, nice to see you. Thanks, Cletus. And just walk by on his way to market, not wanting any trouble, because he was heading to market. But the best part of heading to market was always that Every once in a while, he would get to see a glimpse of Princess Clara. Maybe she was up on her balcony, or maybe she was in a procession or riding down the street in her carriage or something like that. And he noticed Princess Clara, and he was madly in love with her. And you know what? Sometimes Princess Clara would notice Jim, too. She would see his integrity while he was being made fun of, and she knew that he always gave a good deal when he was selling his wool. Well, the months went on, and one day... Jim was coming back late from working in the field, and he came to his little cottage, and he noticed there was a note on the table. And it was a special note. It was was kind of silver-gilded, a little bit gold-gilded. And he opened it up, and he was a smart lad, so he knew how to read a bit. And he read it, and he said, and inside it said, Dearest Jim, I've seen you from afar, and I'd like to marry you. I know you're a man of noble heart, which is rarer than gold in my country. And if you would come, I will become your princess. But you have to come today. Otherwise, I'll know that you have rejected this letter and I will move on. Signed, Princess Clara. Well, of course, Jim could hardly believe it, but he he knew that this had to be real. It had the insignia of the princess on this fancy gold note. And he looked out the window and he noticed that the sun was starting to set because he'd come in late from the field. And so he did not have that much time 
to make his response known. So he ran out of his cottage and he hit that muddy field and he was running so hard he slipped and fell and he got his face in the mud. He was getting mud everywhere, but he didn't mind. He would rub that mud in his face. He says, I'm going to marry Princess Clara. I love you, mud. He rubs that mud in his face and he runs, sends off running again. And then, of course, he comes by Farmer Bill's field with that stupid evil bull in it and he comes to it. And But the long way around is to take the path. So he decided, I've got to get to the princess today. So he jumps over the fence and he's running through the field and all of a sudden he hears something and he knows it's that stupid bull and he's running and now he's a little bit happy and a little bit afraid for his life but he's keeping on running and you know what he looked behind and that bull is right behind him and the bull hits him but he's right by the fence and luckily he doesn't get hit with one of the horns and the bull sends him flying over the fence and as he's flying through the air he's like this is a good deal to be flying through the air towards my princess but he lands in some thickets and it kind of hurts him a little bit but he's like thank you bull for launching me over this fence because I'm gonna marry a princess and he's got a bit of a hobble now, and he's half running, and he's half hobbling because he's just been hitting the derriere with a bull. But he's running towards the village, and he's running towards the city, and he gets to the city. Of course, the knaves are out there because they've got nothing better to do, and they look at him and say, is that Jim covered in mud, you stupid shepherd? You good-for-nothing loser. Shepherd, you can't even walk straight anymore. And Jim's just like, hey, guys, that's great. Say whatever you want. I'm about to marry Prince. And of course, they're like, you're never going to marry Princess Easy. What have you been drinking, you idiot? And they say, but he doesn't give a rip anymore because he's on his way to the castle and he finally makes it to the castle and there's Clara on the balcony she sees this muddy, bruised insulted shepherd and she's happier than anything because he came and he sees her smile and now he knows it's true that she really did send that letter because he sees there's love all over his face and he smiles and it's just brown with a white across here And she sees his smile, and she doesn't care what he looks like, and he doesn't care what he's been through because it's love. And love changes everything. All your hardships change when you know you're loved. And they come to you through the will and the wisdom of someone who loves you more than his own life. All your troubles change when you know you're loved. Every day of your life changes when you know you're loved. All your perceptions of yourself change when you know you're loved. All your weird Christmas family stuff changes when you know that you're loved by God himself. All your issues and the stuff you try to fill the holes with, it changes when you know you're loved. How much of the crazy stuff we do is just because we we just... We know we're not loved, or we think we're not loved, and we're trying to prove something, or hide something, or fill something. But you're loved. You're loved with a love that nothing can separate you from in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's some thoughts. Can you ask to know the love? I pray this a lot. God, would you help me to know I'm loved? I've I've had times where I feel like all those little connectors in your soul that like receive love, that they're all cut off at some time. Anybody here ever like try to figure out wiring after Christmas? Somebody buys you something and you've got it. Is this an HDMI or is this a VGA or is this just, you know, one of those like regular ones, part two, and then the EU makes it so that Apple needs to change their plug so that... uh, so much of our life depends on plugs. That's nuts. You take your plugs from Canada and you try to go to Bulgaria and other plugs fit your plugs and you plug in your plug and it blows the whole 
hotel circuits when you're trying to use your hair dryer because of the plugs. True story. And I've had times where I'm just like, God, it doesn't feel like my plugs are there anymore. Can you give me plugs that are able to just experience the truth? I don't want to just read it and confess it's true. I want to know. And my confidence is that Paul says, God wants you to know. Like not know, but know, know, all the way know. So let's ask. If you aren't convinced that God loves you more than life itself, keep asking. Keep asking. Second thing, why don't we appreciate the stink out of people? If you know you're loved, it does change how you see people. Life's still hard, and there's tons of heartache, but if you know you're loved, if you want to grow and be loved, just appreciate the stink out of the people around you. And it's a great way to help convince people God loves them. If God, if we know somebody loves us, it's easier for us to believe that God loves us. It's true. Number three, and maybe this is just for me. Robert Balfour, lay off the self-pity and judging. Self-pity and judging has never made Christmas better for anybody. Instead, just, just want to be loved. I do self-pity when I feel like God doesn't love me. Anybody else like that? It's better to know God loves you than to feel sorry for yourself. And in the name of love, make things as right as possible as you can and trust God with the rest. You know what? He loves you. I know everybody would like something different this Christmas than the way things are. You've got God's love. Do your best. Trust God with the rest. Amen? So I'm wrapping it up. I'm going to invite... Do we have another song, Greg? We do have another song. Wonderful. Would anybody like me to just pray over them that God would empower you to know his supernatural love? If you'd like that, you can stand. You don't have to. I see some of you got kids, so standing is not on the table. But I'm going to pray for you to get this Christmas gift that keeps on giving this year. Amen? So, Father God, I lift up to you your church. Father, you know in Steinbeck, because there's so much Christian culture, you can kind of just ride the waves of people doing stuff, and that's really good. But Lord, we need to know your love. And we need to know each one of us personally that you deeply love us and have committed yourself to changing our hearts and doing us good with all of your heart and all of your soul for all of time. And Father, would you tear down every stronghold of the enemy that says that can't be true or maybe other people but not me or maybe it's too late or maybe I'm too far. Lies, lies, lies. God came in Jesus to save the worst of us and everyone else. And he has the largeness of soul to forgive us every day and want our good deeply from his heart. So, Jesus, I worship you in your strength. There's no one like you who can forgive us so much and genuinely want and love us back in return. And I pray that we would get it this Christmas. Do a great miracle in our midst. And all God's people said,